The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Margrethe Vestager wants to be a champion to European consumers, but she's a villain to America's tech companies who have paid her billions of dollars in fines during her four years as Europe's chief competition watchdog. I caught up with Margrethe on her way through New York to talk about exactly what it is Silicon Valley has done so wrong, how to make Europe sexy again, and what she's been buying on Amazon. Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Margrethe. So I'd like to start with the big numbers Mm -hmm. that I'm sure you hear a lot. Uh, the $5 billion fine against Google, $1.2 billion against Qualcomm, uh, another $2.7 billion against Google, and then a, a relatively small $120 million against Facebook, and then, of course, the $15 billion blockbuster against Apple. What has Silicon Valley ever done to you that they deserved all of these gigantic fines? Well, as a, as a European consumer, they have uh, limited my choices, put a lid on, on innovation. And as a consumer, this is, uh, this is what I hope to find in the marketplace. Choice, affordable prices, uh, innovation, companies that compete for my attention and for, for my business. Now, you've, uh, before you, we're talking in the United States right now, we're in New York, and before mm-hmm. you came here, you, pre, you kind of pre-announced your visit with the news that you're investigating Amazon. You're, you've launched an informal investigation mm-hmm. into Amazon, which is one of the companies that has so far avoided um, the kind of... Uh, Vestea treatment. Can you just talk me through what, what kind of process precedes that? So how do you get to the point where you decide to announce an informal investigation? How, does it, how do you make that decision and what factors play into you singling out a company for extra scrutiny? Well, it, it's a long process because we would never, never do that uh, without having, having a, a concern that something needs to be looked into. And as you said, this is very, very early days. We have absolutely no sort of open case. And we, of course, have absolutely no decision that Amazon has done something that they shouldn't. So it's very, very early days. But we did a sector inquiry into e-commerce because that's very important. It's important everywhere. Half of all Europeans would have bought something online uh, within a year. Uh, and some of them would be like me and buy quite a lot of things online uh, within a year. Are you an Amazon customer? I am an Amazon customer as well. But what came in this uh, sector inquiry, uh, looking into how does the the e-commerce work, one of the concerns that came back was this uh, role uh, that's a dual role. On the one hand side, uh, you host uh, the small guy, you enable his business, uh, providing uh, payment options, uh, delivery, uh, things that sort of allows a smaller business also to do e-commerce without having to invest uh, in all the techs, and that's a very, very good thing. Uh, like this summer, I bought a parasol, uh, and it turned out that I bought it from a very small business uh, South Germany, and had it delivered in France uh, through Amazon, and I find that's, that's great, because I'm more than happy to, to place my little uh, business uh, with him. And this is what tech is supposed to be for, right? This is what it's supposed to be for. Yes. Allowing, you know, the little guy who doesn't necessarily have the resource actually also to be there for me to choose exactly this product that I couldn't find anywhere else. The other side of that coin is, of course, that the one hosting you gets a lot of data about what it is that you're doing, what your customers are buying, what are they looking at, uh, what's the frequency, you know, a lot of data, and a lot of that data is quite rich, 
because it gives you information uh, about customer behavior that when you have a lot of that, you can make you know, quite a good bet on how the marketplace is developing. And of course, it allows you to improve your services to the little guy, but it also may allow you to say, well, now I will do this business. It's trending in this direction, so now I will do this as well. And since I have large scale, it may be very difficult for the smaller guy actually to, to keep up with me. So the risk is that, that something that currently helps the small guy actually turns into something that you can use to crush the small guy. Exactly. And, uh, and it's only because that you're a very big one that we get a concern, because if, if it's not just another small guy, well, then that's, that's it. it, we're not concerned. It's this relationship between the very small one and the very, very big one. That is where we get a concern. And how much is it fueled by complaints that come from outside? Because companies that are either suppliers to Amazon, customers of Amazon, competitors to Amazon, even competitors in the US that are finding that mm. regulators here aren't paying much attention to the question of scale and size in the tech sector. Do you, do you find that they're coming to you to try and solve their own commercial problems? Well, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not set here to, to solve someone's commercial problem because we're not in favor of uh, some business and against another business. We're in favor of customers being well served. But it's right so long that, of course, we do our own markets uh, sort of surveillance, but we don't work in an ivory tower. We work with market participants everywhere. Uh, they come to us, we ask them, we ask a lot of questions in the marketplace in order to fully understand what is going on. So yes, it's right to say that not only in the sector inquiry, uh, people raised concerns, but it also sort of came to us from a number of different channels that people were worrying, is this, is this balanced? Is this, is this the way things are supposed to be? Uh, and this is, of course, what then inspired us to say, well, it's very early days. We obviously have no conclusions whatsoever, but we want to understand this in full as well. And one of the, one of the interesting, fascinating philosophical distinctions between um, the European approach to antitrust and the American mm -hmm. approach, and I'm, I'm being a bit simplistic here, but it, is that the Americans have tended to focus on this narrow, fairly narrow issue of consumer welfare. Um, and if the consumer is happy and, and um, feels well served, then you know, everything can carry on much as it was before. And, and you've taken a slightly different approach. I'd love to understand a bit more about how you think about this, because um, looking at some of the decisions you've made, um, the, a message comes through that just because the customer is happy does not necessarily mean that there isn't a com competition problem. Well, it, it becomes maybe then even more philosophical, because why are you happy? Um, because I have a great respect of, of people on, on very small budgets. Uh, obviously, to have an affordable price, a low price, is of the essence, because otherwise you can do no business. So obviously, price and the level of price is a very important element. Uh, but choice is also an important element, because it's, of course, maybe things are cheap, but it's, it only comes in black. Is, is that really all there is to it? So you want choice as well. And since things are moving fast, of course, even though you want things to be cheap and you want to have choice, you also want innovation to happen. So we have this sort of broad way of, uh, of looking into what is consumer, what's a consumer benefit. And that for us is, is important. Like look at the car cartel, uh, where we opened investigation uh, last week. Well, this is not we don't suspect a car cartel that fixed prices or a car cartel that fixed uh, that you do north of the market and I do south of the market. 
What we worry about is that this is a car cartel where you decided to, to put a lid on innovation. That you simply agreed that we will not use the best possible technologies to uh, clean emissions from cars. And this innovation is, I mean, innovation is right there in your mission statement, yes. a, which is a, a, a distinction from the American, your counterparts, the FTC and the Department of Justice, who, who talk about lots of the same things. They talk about choice, making companies that can compete internationally. Mm -hmm. They talk about price, but they don't talk about innovation. So do you think of yourself as an innovator in the way that you do target innovation as a key criteria for a competitive market? Well, well what we see is that competition is a key driver for innovation. If, uh, if everything is, is comfortable, uh, you, you don't innovate. It's only if there's someone to, to drive you to innovate that you actually do it because it's costly, it involves risks. So, so why do it if, if no one is sort of saying, well, if you don't, I do, because I'm willing to pay the cost. I'm willing to take the risk because I want to get ahead of you. Uh, and, and that's very important for us because uh, the world we live in with these immense opportunities that tech and digitalization brings us, you want innovation to happen uh, and for, for innovative solutions to, to be available. Uh, that can be within sustainability, within health, within transportation to make it less uh, annoying and costly and time consuming uh, than what we see. The scope is, is huge, but you want things to happen in order to get the best of technology. The other, as well as innovation, another couple of things that you mentioned that some of your global peers don't, or certainly don't as much, data mm -hmm. and democracy, which are things that previously you wouldn't necessarily have thought were part of a competition, competition commission's worldview. Um, the democracy in particular is interesting because the tech companies, which are overwhelmingly American, in, in the United States have basically the, been um, slapped around by politicians for issues like privacy and the... Uh, the, the potential to submit, subvert the democratic process, whereas in Europe it's so far been there's been some privacy, obviously some mm. well-noted privacy regulation, but mostly on market dominance and mm. the potential to abuse it. Is that kind of democratic risk something that would uh, pop up on your radar? Is that something that you consider part of your mandate as a competition commissioner? That's a, that's a difficult question to to answer. Uh, the thing was that the reason why uh, competition law and this idea to sort of frame the marketplace came into our treaty in the first place was uh, the role that has been played by the marketplace and monopolies in the 30s in the running up to the Second World War. So our founders, they said that when we're going to lay this puzzle of peacekeeping, uh, from a continent that has not only originated one global war, but a second global war. It's unbelievable that, that one thing is to make one global war, but to do it a second time, it's, it's, you can't imagine how this could have happened. So in order to make sure that it doesn't happen a third time, we will make this puzzle of peacekeeping. And the market should play its role uh, in doing that because we've seen that the market played a negative role in the running up to the Second World War. So we want the market now to play a positive role in, uh, in being a place where you have fair competition, level playing field, where you may be very successful, customers like your products, but you cannot misuse a dominant position to deny others the right to compete against you. And there's a lot of sort of fundamentals in that because these are rule sets 
in a democracy, protected by democracy, but allowing businesses to do what they do best. And what about, because competition for customers for revenue is slightly different from competition for airtime, if you like, mm. the, the, the competition to communicate. How do you, how do you think about that? Because that's, that's kind of a non-financial, but obviously very real risk. Customers could be having lower prices, there could be plenty of choice of product, but they may find that the information they're receiving is being dominated by one source, which may have an agenda, knowingly or unknowingly. Yeah, but that is, that is sort of outside of our mandate. And, uh, and I'm trying to be, you know, very, very uh, particular that say, well, okay, I got, you know, it's a sledgehammer, it's a big one. But that doesn't turn everything into nails. And, uh, and it, with my colleagues, we discuss a lot about uh, fake news, bias, uh, the Facebook Analytica scandal has been investigated by my colleagues for fraud, for breaking electoral laws. Uh, we have huge environmental concerns, um, which is then taken care of by other colleagues. And you know, I have a fundamental respect of the fact that I do my thing uh, within the competition law framework. And that is then, of course, uh, completed, fulfilled with what other people do as well. And I think that is of extreme importance that you don't just mix everything together uh, in one big ball. But, but as a citizen, obviously, uh, I have a deep concern because I think that we've been lying since we learned to speak as a species. But the thing is that now the scope and the speed is so unbelievably fast. So as a citizen, you need to, to you know, hone the skills actually to figure out, mm, is that too good to be through or is that too bad to be through? So to figure out what do I actually believe? how to build a worldview on my own that is not manipulated. And, you, and the tools that you have to, to focus on your side of, um, of that uh, very complex issue, obviously fines are something that mm. you've used. Um, before we came here, I looked at the, what, you know, what are the world's biggest companies by market mm. capitalization, and of the top 30, two of them were European, and actually one of those was Swiss, so mm. it's only kind of half European. But, but America, and also now China and a bit South Korea, kind of dominate those um, lists of the biggest companies and, and they're getting more concentrated there are loads of studies showing that mm. American business is getting more concentrated yes. not yes. less uh, how do you think then about the idea of continental champions because the United States and China are certainly trying to create continental champions and the, the task of creating a competitive market within Europe in some cases may be at odds with that idea of creating a company that is big enough to take on Facebook to take on Alibaba to take on some of these companies that have been allowed to grow huge on this kind of benevolent political royal jelly. Well, the, the, the paradox is, of, of course, that Europe is probably still the best place to live on Earth ever, especially if you're a woman. And, and that has been, been done the European way. We, we're not the same as the US. We're not definitely not the same as, as the Chinese. And, and yet, it doesn't mean that everyone is well off or that all is fine, but it just means that there's a lot of success uh, that has come from the way that we've been doing things. And one of the particularities is that we have never allowed uh, businesses to be sort of a, a cuddled favorites in the European market. We say, if you're going to win the race, well, win it at home. And then when you're at your best, win it also globally. When people say, you know, Europe, you, where's your Facebook, where's your Google, where's your Amazon, 
it sounds like you're saying that we may not have those, but we've got other things instead that kind of compensate. Oh, but we've got, we've got a million other things. But the point is that we don't see, people don't use Facebook because it's a US company. People don't Google things because Google is a US company. It works for them. It's what's happening on ground with your uh, consumers. That's what's important for people. We have no issue with the company being a US company, for better and for worse. If we take an issue, it's because of your behavior in the marketplace. So speaking about Europe, next year we will have a new European Commission president. It's one of the, it's probably the most important job in a block of nearly 500 million people. Um, and you, you obviously have been asked multiple times whether you'd be interested, and that, my understanding is you're keeping your options open at, at this stage. Um, what, what does that new president have to do? What's the biggest challenge for whoever takes on that role of being basically the effectively the head of this gigantic but slightly turbulent block of countries? Climate change is top priority. A, a Europe that keeps you safe, second absolute top, top priority. Innovation, research, development, that would be the third thing. So we try to you know, put in you know, a richness in our debates so that we debate on substance. Where is it that we want to go? Because Europe can go nowhere with just one person in the lead. Our strength, and sometimes our weaknesses, is that we have to come together to make things happen. Isn't the other weakness a bit that um, Europe hasn't made itself sufficiently sexy to voters? I mean, if you look, turnout for the European elections has been falling since 1979, and I think it's something like 40%. Um, and that's got to be a, a priority, right, to get people in Europe to feel like they are part of this project and that they can influence outcomes and that they don't use European elections as a protest vote, which is certainly what's mm. happened in, in Britain in the past and I'm guessing other places. How, how can you reduce that distance between Brussels and the folks in you know, Western Denmark or you know, Northern France or Romania or Turkey or Turkey even, or wherever it may be in future? Well, there are a, a number of paradoxes here because sometimes people like the European democracy more than their national democracy if they find that the national democracy is very far away. Um, that is one paradox. But, but the other paradox is, of course, that at least in some member states, you, you still discuss the European part of our democracy as if it was something very recent. And it's not. It has been around for decades by now. So I think part of it is to say that just as well as we have a democracy that consists of our local municipalities, uh, regional networks, national parliaments, uh, we have a European part of our democracy. And, and we have it for better or for worse. So let's discuss what we want to make of it uh, instead, instead of discussing whether we want it or not. Because for a foreseeable future, it will be there. So let's make the most of it. And, uh, and you have a very good point on, on the turnout. Uh, and I think it's, it's for us important to say now and, and for many months to come, well, vote. Because if you don't vote, other guys will vote and then they will decide what route we're going to take. Do you think that the, uh, uh, without getting into the kind of political weeds of the Spitzen candidate process, but this, this kind of process that's quite unique to Europe, whereby mm -hmm. the biggest party in parliament basically picks the president. Um, do you, that's slightly at odds with this idea of everyone putting in their, you know, putting in their effort and mm -hmm. seeing the result that they earned with the sweat of their brow. Do you think that system has to change? And do you think it can change? Well, since it's, it's only been tried once uh, as right. a test, uh, of course it can change. But the thing is that 
of course it's it's a hundred percent legitimate for the parliament to say well these are the people or this is the person that we would like to head uh, the commission but it is just as legitimate for our council or heads of state and government to say well these are the people or this is the person that we would like to head the commission because the two will have to agree and, and there's no uh, automaticity, if that is a word, I'm not completely sure of that, uh, <laughs> that in, in, in the one deciding over the other. Because of this, I think, unique European thing that our democratic legitimacy, both have the source of the directly elected and the heads of state and government coming together. And the two will have to agree, not only on the people, but also on substance. Where do we want to go? And yes, sometimes, it takes a while and discussions and they're not easy but when we get there and when we do agree then we can make things come true because at the moment at the moment the politics both of Denmark and of Europe don't favor you getting another term as competition commissioner or potentially if that system spits and candidate system remains in place of becoming the commission president so if you weren't working in either of those roles what would you see yourself doing could you imagine going in, into the corporate world at some point or would you would you like to stay in the world of policy. If, if neither of those jobs is up for grabs, where would you be? Well, one of the things I have learned over the years is that you should be very careful uh, in, in, in planning because sometimes planning works as blinders uh, and you don't realize that important things will happen sort of out of one corner of your eye. And, and you need to be able to see what happens if you turn your head or look just out of one corner of your eye, because this may be the next thing for you to do. Uh, and this is why I think it's, it's very important to keep an open mind. I'm sure Amazon would love to have you. Well, you know, people tend to forget that we actually did a, a very good settlement with Amazon on, on eBooks to allow for more competition on eBooks and more innovation on eBooks. Because as you say, we do all kinds of stuff. We do settlement, uh, we do agreements, but of course, if, uh, if it can't be any different, then we do prohibitions and we hand out the fine. I just want to quickly ask you about mm -hmm. Denmark. I mean, there's a, obviously a scandal going on at Danske Bank right now that you mm -hmm. have described in a phrase that I absolutely love as a giga scandal. Mm -hmm. Certainly the numbers are very big, $230 billion of, de of deposits flowing through this tiny Estonian mm -hmm. branch. Um, so you've called for more action on money laundering. Whose job is it to, to oversee that? Um, who, who should be taking control of that, that project to try and stamp out money laundering? Because it's obviously not happening as it should at the moment. No, and, and this is why it's not, I'm not uh, what we call chef de file. Uh, it's one of my colleagues. Uh, and this is why we have proposed to say, well, you need to strengthen both the national uh, supervisor, but you also need to strengthen the European supervisor so that when you come together you have a horizontal view. Because one of the things that we have seen in this uh, Danske Bank uh, scandal, which is unbelievable, is that uh, also authorities have had uh, issues in, in talking together and, and coordinating sufficiently close. And this is of course what you need. Uh, and, uh, and whitewash is uh, it's a huge problem and it's, uh, it's ongoing and it has to stop. And it reflects quite poorly on Denmark, which has been praised highly by people like Bernie Sanders and Hillary mm -hmm. Clinton. Everyone loves Denmark. It's the model that everyone kind oh, of... Oh, it is a nice place. In. But it seems to have failed in this instance to prevent a fairly egregious case mm -hmm. of money laundering. Makes the embarrassment even deeper. So, um, so one last question for you. When they erect the statue of you in Brussels, or maybe 
in Copenhagen. What would you like the plaque to say? Oh, but, but if they do, it will be in butter. So it will vanish and <laughs> other people will come by and they will do amazing things. And hopefully they will, because we all stand on each other's shoulders. Margrethe Pestaya, thank you very much for your time. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Exchange. This episode was produced by Ben Kellerman. You can find more like it at breakingviews.com or wherever you indulge your podcast cravings. See you next time.